Hello and welcome back to Talk Norwich City with myself, Jack Reeve. And I'm delighted to be able to be joined today with Ali Maxwell of Not The Top 20, Sky Sports and Quest fame. Um, Ali, we've seen the first set of fixtures across the EFL and I'm sure you're a very busy man at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the week leading up to the season uh, is probably the busiest week that, that we have. Uh, that's me and George, who I do the Not The Top 20 podcast with, because uh, you probably know yourself, uh, given that you're in and around the industry as well. Predictions content and, and season preview stuff uh, it's absolute catnip to, to listeners, to viewers. It, it's uh, it can be a bit of a hiding to nothing at times because it's quite stressful having to come up with predictions and 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 knowing that you're kind of on the hook if they're really rubbish. But um, it, it's always such an exciting week, and we know that it's the week where we're going to gain, we're going to sort of find new listeners, are going to find out about us. So it's an important one for us, uh, and it was very busy. And then I was in uh, at, at the Quest Studios on Saturday. Uh, watching all the goals flying in and it was pretty exciting stuff. So, yeah, good that the season's actually started and we can talk about actual football matches rather than just trying to work out what's going to happen. Uh, and, uh, yeah, very excited to be on the channel as well. I don't know why. Something to do with the algorithm. Every time I go on YouTube, uh, TNC is in my sort of recommended video. So I was like, I need to get myself on here so I can actually see myself back. Um, but, no, uh, buzzing to be on with you. Thank you, Jack. Well, if nothing else, at least I'm getting the, the, the tagging right on the on the YouTube videos. Um, yeah, it's interesting about predictions, isn't it? I mean, I was, you know, I was straight on them. I know a lot of my friends who are Norwich fans were, were straight on your predictions as, as well. And it was a good link because regarding Norwich City, you were, you and George were fairly bullish about our chances this season. Uh, I won't give any spoilers away in case there are, you know, there might be people who, who are still That's wanting fine. to listen. And, uh, and I'll link it down in the description below. But what is it about this Norwich setup and the squad and the head coach and, and Weber that makes you think, you know, success is on the horizon once again for the Canaries? Yeah, it's, I'm glad you mentioned Weber there because it's a bit of a weird situation, isn't it? And sometimes I worry that it comes across a bit strange. But I'm a massive Stuart Weber fanboy, basically. And so... Genuinely, like I think one of my notes, I don't think I said it in the end on the pod, but one of my notes was, I understand how weird this is, but I, I feel like I'm backing a sporting director more <laughs> so more so than a manager here or a head coach or whatever Farker's title is. And that's not necessarily to, to put down Farker because, of course, as someone who follows the Championship probably a bit closer than the Premier League, which might be rare, uh, you know, we've only known very good things about Norwich and, and Farker. Of course, I was up to date with everything that was happening in the Prem last season and I I, I followed it closely and with, and with much interest. I know that Farker lost a lot of credit uh, with the fan base, as understandable, and, and many of the players did too because uh, it was a pretty miserable season without without many wins. But yeah, I, I kind of have to start with Weber. Um, it, it's such an odd one because loads of teams don't even have sporting directors or directors of football. And a lot of them who do, you don't hear much from them. And a lot of them don't get a lot of credit or a lot of blame. So Weber, in the way that he fronts things up, uh, is, is unusual rather than unique, I think. Um, I could listen to him speak about football all day. Uh, and whenever you guys or other people who cover Norwich or whoever it is. I know he made a few appearances on BT Sport, I think, last season. Whenever he's on, uh, I make sure I'm watching that back and genuinely sometimes taking notes as well because I just love the way he speaks about the game. I love how bullish he is uh, about the way that, that he's doing things uh, at your club. Uh, and I truly believe that with him as a sort of key decision maker, 
for, for the football operations of a football club, that stands a club in better stead than the majority of other clubs in the division. So a lot of a, a lot a lot of my bullishness came just through that. Um, looking at the fact that it felt like you guys were maybe a month or two ahead of, of the two teams that you came down with, just in terms of, of of a few things of the hangover itself. You know, your relegation, whether although it was painful, was kind of decided pretty early on. That allows a club to to start putting a lot of uh, the wheels in motion, I suppose, for planning for for what is um, quite a tough thing to deal with relegation to the second tier, um, and and obviously in the transfer market as well. I do worry sometimes that we and a lot of other people put too much importance on pure transfer business when doing those predictions but you can kind of understand it as well because it tends to be the, the the one major thing that you can look at the one major sort of piece of change from the season before and you know again compared to Watford and Bournemouth uh, it wasn't so much the guys that had left because I know there's still a few question marks over some Norwich players but it was more you know what we call and it's a, it's again it's not a very footballing term but succession planning something that that under Weber, you guys have been very good at something that Brentford have, uh, are known to be very good at. It's basically if you're a team that has good players who are going to be bought for lots of money by other clubs, having the replacements in the door already, uh, it makes such a big difference. And, you know, while it can be difficult for fans to lose players that they love and players they know are, are, are top quality players, it just makes a ginormous difference having guys already in the building uh, and, and sort of ready to take their spot. So that was a, a, another tick in the box for me. Um, and do you know what a big thing was? And this isn't very pro Norwich, I'm afraid. I found it really difficult to pick a team out of the pack, you know, out of the guys who are still at championship level. It doesn't feel like the season finished that long ago. So it feels like we knew a lot about the other teams, you know, those that just missed out, lost in the playoffs or maybe didn't make the playoffs. In order to find someone to be automatically promoted from those teams. You have to be really sure that a lot's changed, that they've really bought loads of great players that's going to elevate the, the quality that they have at their disposal. And it was difficult to find one team where you just went, yes, my gut is telling me yes, uh, the research telling me yes. So we didn't really have too many of the existing teams kicking on and challenging. Uh, and again, that was another tick in the box for, for, for your Canaries. Well, no, I, I, that's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, having listened to a lot of prediction podcasts from, from fairly shrewd kind of judges from, from a betting perspective as well, I heard a few people picking out Cardiff, Swansea maybe to get into that top six. But from my point of view, and I've said this to a few people and kind of had strange looks off some, it, it doesn't feel as competitive in the in the championship as it has done in previous campaigns. We, we, we know what it feels like to come down. We've done it enough. In, in the past decade or so. And often when you come back down into the championship, you're like, we've probably got seven teams we're competing with here to try and get back to the Premier League. This time, it feels as if there's maybe two or three. Do you feel that or, or am I sort of, you know, onto something, onto nothing here? No, no, I think that's, I think that's very, very fair. And Look, when I was doing my research pre-season, I, you know, I take basically a day for each division and I have a really cool spreadsheet and <laughs> I have, uh, you know, a, a row for each team with a number of different compartments and categories. Uh, and I go through it and it can be off-field stuff, it's transfers, it's existing squad, it's manager, it's stuff like underlying data. And, and to be honest, like, it would have been a lot easier to do a podcast highlighting the problems that some teams have or, or highlighting deficiencies and and I'm not a negative person at all I'm really positive and I try <laughs> and see the positives in, in everything almost to a fault but genuinely like last week before the season started I could have told you loads of reasons why I didn't love 
a group of teams and it was very difficult to be really you know to just fully put yourself out there and say i think that team that finished you know let's say eighth or ninth someone like forest i think they are going to be way better this season because i genuinely didn't believe it so you know we're only one game in and, and drawing conclusions from one game uh is definitely the wrong thing to do but even after opening weekend there probably isn't anyone where i'm like wow okay they have they're a different side this year. So, again, more positive news for, for Norwich fans and, of course, Bournemouth and Watford as well because another thing you have to you have to do when you do these predictions, which we get wrong every year, is like you actually overestimate the teams that come down from the Premier League. Everyone knows, I think, by now that actually the record of teams coming down from the Prem is pretty poor in terms of going straight back up, certainly automatically. Like, there is something intangible almost that holds teams back. Maybe it's a slow start. Maybe it's something to do with the atmosphere, you know, the squad churn that has to happen, the motivation of certain players who maybe don't want to be playing in the second tier. All of that, it, it sort of goes into a cauldron. And we know now, pretty much evidence-based, it's really difficult for teams to overcome. So I went into my pre-season research thinking, right, don't overestimate these three teams coming down because we've been burned by that before. You almost think, like, I, th- I remember last year, Huddersfield, all the noises coming out of the club was like, oh, we're not that fussed about going back up again. You know, we're, it felt like the Premier League had been a bit stressful for them. And, you know, they were a bit like, <laughs> let's just let's just take a bit of time to just chill out and relax. And alarm bells were ringing early on. And yet we had them probably 10th or 11th because we felt, well, you know, they've been up. There's a lot of recognisable players and we can't put them that low down, can we? And obviously the season starts and you're like, oh, no, yeah, they, they really could be right down there. Sunderland got relegated uh, twice in a row. Huddersfield just about survived. So, again, it was another wrinkle this year. I had that in the back of my mind, and we still had the three teams quite high <laughs> up for, for the reasons that I've discussed. It, it just, they're such an unknown, and you have to recognise that, you know, one of them, one of you, three, will probably stick place out for, for reasons that we might not be able to predict right now or just intangible sort of stuff that you can't always see with your eyes, but you just see it on the field. And, yeah, it's, a, it's, as you can tell, a week later, I'm still sort of second-guessing myself and I'm still worried that we've made the wrong calls. But there's hopefully a, a, some of my thoughts on, on why we had you guys up there. I'm glad you mentioned that, kind of not pulling conclusions from the opening week. Because I know on your Monday podcast this week, you were essentially, the theme throughout the show was comments, not conclusions, which I loved. Right, then the um, other theme was forgetting to talk about Norwich City. <laughs> it was, yeah. So Norwich fans, don't go over to this week's podcast. <laughs> Wait until next Monday. Um, Mate, I felt so, so bad, right? Because two years ago, so we've been doing the pod for four years and each year, understand, you can understand how when we cover so many teams, there are a few sets of fans who love listening to the pod because their teams are doing well. We're waxing lyrical about their players and the manager and the style of football because they're winning uh, and it's you know it's hard to be negative. There's always a few teams who maybe we don't rate as highly uh, and their fans can get a bit frustrated because maybe they're doing quite well and you've got these annoying blokes saying we're not actually buying into this fully. So we always have a few sets of fans who we're getting on very well with, a few sets of fans who we're not getting on very well with. And two years ago, us and Norwich fans, it was just, oh, it was the dream, mate. It was about as good <laughs> as it's got. Um, and a really, you know, but, but, but what was very notable was there was like a real gratitude from a set of fans. It's not always Norwich fans, but it's really nice for us when, you know, it's not just you're saying nice things or bad things about the team. It's actually like, thank you for putting the time in to learn about things to like, you know, I think as in the 
fans sometimes in the mainstream you don't feel like getting the same coverage as the Premier League and that's what we try and and do sometimes our fault sometimes we 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 try and find conclusions maybe that aren't there and things are a bit more simple but my point was we had so many nice messages over the summer from Norwich fans being like Basically, the only silver lining from being relegated is that we get nice coverage from not the top 20. We're looking forward to listening. And so opening weekend, my running order that I've put together is just so many notes, way too much. Like I'm a big over noter. And like, this is why I'm happy to be on this pod today because I don't have to steer the conversation. Even though I enjoy presenting, I love not having to worry about linking things and moving on. And, and yeah, we, we I thought George had talked about Norwich. And then as I hit publish... I closed my laptop down and I, the last note I saw was a line on Farker. And I was like, I don't think I said that. Uh, massive panic. Didn't do it. Felt terrible. So sorry, Norwich fans. It's not a great return. But uh, do do make sure you stick with us because there'll be plenty of Norwich chat over the season. Well, I'm sure Norwich fans will forgive you if you just accidentally forget to talk about Ipswich in, in this week's episode. Um, but I'm, no, what I, what I wanted to say was for Norwich fans, it felt really important the win against Huddersfield. And we'll get onto that in a bit more detail after this. But Norwich were going into this first championship game off the back of 12 straight defeats. And I know it's in a different league and the, the circumstances surrounding it all was very different. But it's rare. I mean, I can't think of too many clubs that keep hold of a head coach after that many defeats and the manner of defeats as well. So how important is it for these newly relegated sides? And you mentioned it. we saw it with Watford and Bournemouth as well to really hit the ground running. No, I think it is. I really do think it is. And there's, there's, there's a lot of analysis of football, which is more to do with psychology and atmosphere and team, you know, just team building and stuff and that's quite difficult to really get right because especially if you haven't been you know this is where we because uh, we weren't former pros we've never been inside a dressing room inside a club I, I'm always wary of, of of sort of what I think can be quite lazy punditry sometimes and just saying like well this happened therefore it'll be good, good for the atmosphere and everything will be fine or, or the other way around sometimes I think people are a bit too quick to make sort of judgments based on basically amateur psychology essentially last season all three relegated premier league teams lost on opening weekend and that was quite notable uh, in sort of in the other direction it's like you can see how when we're trying to put our finger on why the relegation hangover happens how you can slow it down how you can stop it how you can move past it that's why i think a lot of the moves that norwich have done and with weber and farker have been designed to to almost squash this hangover uh, and to try and move past it, getting the first win was going to be huge. Uh, I, I know that I know that you guys were thrilled to get the three points. Um, that was on our main screen in at Quest, so I, I'd say it's probably the game I watched closest out of all the championship games. And I have to admit, like it wasn't a classic. <laughs> I didn't I didn't leave that. I did not leave that thinking like, wow, my Norwich first in the league prediction is nailed on. But it's very pleasing well, to get three points. That's for sure. Yeah, well, this is the thing. We we were texting a little bit over the over the weekend, and I, obviously I was buzzing. Like, I hadn't seen Norwich win since February, so I was on absolute cloud nine. And I texted you. I was like, "What did you make of that? It was so brilliant, wasn't it?" And you were like, "I thought you were a bit rusty in the final third. I was like, "Ali, no, that's not what you're meant to say." But it, it was, and was that a theme across the whole division and, yeah. and League One and League Two as well? Because pre-season's been very condensed, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it's been it's been complete chaos, to be honest. And yeah, look, it, it's not great when 
when your whole brand is isn't the EFL amazing and shouldn't everyone listen to and watch EFL content, which is basically mine. But I had to be honest on the pod on Monday and just say, look, that my main theme as I watched all these games was Jesus, like there's a there's a lot of rusty teams out there. And you know, it's probably the same to a certain extent every year, but maybe it felt a bit a bit more noticeable. Generally across the board, teams just weren't creating good chances. And I think in, in probably early on in the season, it is just easier to defend or at least to be cohesive defensively than it is in an attacking sense. And look, from, from a defensive point of view, I thought Norwich were impressive. And that's m- the most notable thing for me. Um, I've been in trouble recently because I've mentioned that actually looking back, we didn't really talk about it too much at the time, but for a team that won the championship two years ago, Norwich's defensive record was like unusually like poor. <laughs> um, that obviously didn't improve in the Premier League, which is, you know, every team that goes up concedes more goals in the Premier League than they do in the championship. The problem was you'd already conceded quite a lot in the championship. So my main question, I think, in my trusty spreadsheet uh, with Norwich was, apart from something you can't judge, which is what's the vibe like, what's the hangover like, was basically, are they going to be okay defensively? Because generally, I would say you need to be pretty good defensively to get the top two. So to get the clean sheet, to, to watch to watch that game and to see, you know, Godfrey, a player who we like a lot. I know there's a feeling that he's, you know, that there's, there's, sort, of two, there's sort of two things with Godfrey that can both be true at the same time, which is just because of the raw materials and the career he's had so far and his his, his speed um how good he bring uh how how comfortable he can be on the ball at times you, you understand why it's kind of accepted that there's a 30 40 50 million pound player in here but a lot of time people are you know you're always projecting the absolute ceiling the, the top potential for a player when they haven't necessarily got there yet so i was i was interested to see how Godfrey reacted to after a very difficult season in the, in the premier league and i thought he was pretty good obviously zimmerman we know can just be pretty solid at this level and you've got Gibson on the bench. So yeah, I, I was, I was definitely encouraged on that side of things uh, from a Norwich perspective. And yeah, in terms of rustiness in the final third, I, I didn't mean to be harsh because everyone was, I mean, Huddersfield way worse than you guys. They were pretty, they were pretty miserable. You know, we were expecting them to be, or we thought they might be a bit of a crisis club. I think, you know, they still could be, but actually like they weren't as horrendous as I thought they'd be. But really, in the final third, they found it very difficult to get going. So, you know, a bit of credit to, to Norwich's back line, for sure. A bit of rustiness there. Um, and going forward, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing when this Norwich side clicks, because it, it looks to me like you've got more, probably a, a bigger variety of attacking options, maybe, mm. than you did previously. And I know that you've got the absolute speedster. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Plaquetta is what I'm going yeah. with. I don't know if that's right. Uh, and obviously, Hugel as well sort of represents something a little bit different. Um, someone that that we know can, it is a real handful um, as a target man at this level, but also has a, a decent eye for goal. Like he will miss a few sitters, and you're going to be like, "How have we paid money for this kid?" But he'll also, you know, I think there was actually a game for QPR last season where he missed like the easiest chance, yeah, and then two two minutes later ran on ran onto a ball and lobbed the keeper. So you're going to get that, but he's obviously going to offer physicality that that maybe Pookie and and Ida probably don't offer and then in the wide areas depending on who stays i mean i really like the look of it it's great to great to see hernandez back and playing football i know mm. he's had some some tough times with injuries i mean i remember your promotion team todd Cantwell not being a particularly key part of that so you can imagine from our perspective the surprise last season when Cantwell was a breakout star 
because it was it was it was a bit confusing. And now it does look like a different player. He looks bigger physically. He looks yeah. just looks like he's grown up, uh, and that's really exciting. Uh, I know that him and Dowell maybe had a bit of teething issues, taking up the same sort of positions and and stepping on each other's toes a little bit on the weekend. So we'll wait and see if they can they can uh, mesh well. But yeah, there's a, there's definitely a lot to be positive about. And I applied to on Twitter, didn't I? Just just backing up how impressed I was as a true uh, goal and the way that Puki assisted it. Essentially, you know, we know he's an absolute sniper at this level. When he gets going and when he's confident, it's clear he's lost a lot of confidence. And and he, you know, you could see that visibly uh, a lack of sharpness and or confidence on the weekend. So it almost made it more impressive that with that opportunity, instead of panicking and snatching at a shot or trying to score himself, a little bit to put the defender on the floor to roll it across. It was uh, very impressive and exciting to see Ida um, get on score sheet as well. I'm sure Norwich fans are pretty excited about that kid. So I think um, Michael Bailey's been calling the likes of Buendia and um, Godfrey and Aaron's and, and Cantwell Norwich's crown jewels. And I think that's probably a good way yeah. to put it. We've obviously lo lost Jamal Lewis to Newcastle for a sizable sum. I thought there'd be a lot more outgoings than there have been at the moment. And I know that the transfer window has been uh, extended until October, so there's still a considerable amount of time to go. But how hopeful are you of Norwich City keeping these players? And I'm sure there'll be a few go. So I guess my question to you is, out of all of them, which is the one that Norwich City should try hardest to keep? I think my, my opinion's actually changed in the last few weeks. And Aaron's is the one for me. Um, I didn't, I didn't watch enough full nineties of you guys in the Premier League to to be comfortable judging how his season had gone. We knew that it was going to be very different. That he was going to have a lot more defending to do, and maybe you know, maybe that was going to be a bit of an issue. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. You'll be able to tell me. But I uh, follow the England under twenty ones very closely. Um, I go to the Euro European Championships every two years with a couple of mates. It's an amazing trip to make because although it's not a major tournament, you get to see really cool places. It's always in like kind of, it's like the last, the last we went to Italy, but it's all the sort of secondary towns. So you go to like places that you wouldn't normally go. Um, and apart from the fact that A.D. Boothroyd is the manager and he's rubbish and we hate him, um, <laughs> we get very into, you know, it's really fun following the, these young players. And over the last five years, obviously, we see a lot of guys graduate to the first team. I'm, I'm taking a long time to make my point, but it's basically the last international break, which was, what, two days ago or so, Aaron's made an assist against Kosovo. And they're a poor team, don't get me wrong, and it was 6-0 to England. But I was like, hold on, this kid, again, a bit like what I said about Cantwell, he looks somehow quicker, maybe a bit stronger, and just, uh, just looks like his technical ability on the ball has improved, like his close control and the way that he dribbles with it. He's basically beating players like a winger does. And there aren't many fullbacks that can do that. So that caught my eye. And then I watched back the extended highlights of the game uh, on the weekend. And again, like my main takeaway from the Norwich highlights was Aaron's is, is a winger. Aaron's is beating players. And that is an unbelievable addition. You know, whether it's Buendia tucked inside him in the right, uh, in sort of half space on the right-hand side, whether it might be Dowell eventually or Campbell, whoever it is, to have that threat is basically going to set Norwich apart. I don't think there are any other attacking fullbacks who are going to have the output that Aaron has this season. So for me, he's the one. Uh, maybe because I'm kind of expecting Wendy to leave and, I, and I'm a bit more hopeful about Aaron's. But honestly, mate, his attacking play makes me very excited. So I'm hoping we get 46 games of that.
Oh, I'd love it. And, and I think it's worth touching on with Aaron's as well. His defensive ability has certainly matured over the over the past couple of seasons. There were occasions in that championship winning campaign where he was maybe caught out of position a few times. And that was happening in the Premier League, but you're up, you're up against far superior wingers. So, um, yeah, that's good. And, and, and look, I think Norwich have got a very good chance of keeping hold of Emmy Buendia. We, we've seen Nick Mashes' article today that said Emmy's willing to stay if the right bid doesn't come in. And, and we know that Stuart Weber has said on many occasions that Norwich won't be selling on the cheap. So it will take a, a big sum of money to, to, to get mm. Emmy away from, from Norwich. Uh, just final point before we, uh, you, we, we let you go, and I'm sure input some more info into, into that spreadsheet of yours. Um, <laughs> we saw Brentford lose on the, on the opening weekend. I think many tipped them, and, and I'm sure they'll be right up there at the end of the season. But other than Brentford and, I guess, Watford, who have been you know, largely fancied across the board, who's your one team to look out for this season that will probably be challenging with Norwich near the top of the table? Yeah, I guess based on what I said at the top about not being that sure about any of the existing teams, it's it's kind of without too much confidence that I say probably Swansea out of the sides that were there or thereabouts last, last season. You know, the likes of Cardiff and, and Nottingham Forest, I suppose, would be in the conversation. Um, but I'll, I'll go with Swansea partly because it, although it's easy to get carried away by, uh, you know, the names that come through the door on loan because their manager, Steve Cooper, was the England under-17 manager when they won the World Cup back in 2017. And that group of players, they're all now like 19, 20 years old. And some of them need some first-team football and, and they're all flocking to, to, to Wales there to play for Steve Cooper Swansea. So back end of last season, when they had Conor Gallagher on loan from Chelsea and Rian Brewster, notably on loan from Liverpool, that was when they really kicked on uh, and improved towards the end of the season, got into the playoffs and looked like a you know a, a top tier, uh, well, not a top tier side, but for this level, a very, very good side. Um, he, he found a new formation, three at the back, which a lot of teams are doing at the moment. And I really hope Norwich don't do it as well. because <laughs> too many teams, too many teams playing three at the back. That's bad for business. That's a bad product. Um, but I can see why teams are doing it. And Swansea have, have got it working really well. They've got three young defenders who are really good. Uh, rode on probably the best of the lot at the moment, 22-year-old through the academy there. Gwehi, who's on loan from Chelsea, one of the aforementioned World Cup winning loanies, uh, and Cabango as well, who's 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 a talented young Welsh. So, yeah, the, pro probably the goal scorer seems to be the thing that people think they're missing at the moment because Brewster has not yet come back on loan. Sort of a watch this space there because I know a few Premier League teams are in for him, but he might just choose to go back somewhere he knows and knows that he'll thrive and, and get lots of minutes. So maybe the goal score is the issue with Swansea. But again, as I said, you, you can basically find a fault with every team uh, and that seems to be theirs. I think generally they're just going to be pretty solid team with a good defence, got some quality players in midfield as well. I, I like Swansea. I, I'm, I'm going to pick them. Some good news for the uh, for the South Wales viewers of TNC. Then Ali, thanks so much for your time, mate. Um, if you are watching and haven't listened to the not the top 20 podcast um then it is an essential listen throughout the season for me it's learning about other clubs as well because it's tough finding really in-depth coverage of the championship uh, and you can do that on over on quest as well so thanks to ali thanks for for all of their time that they put into it i think uh, his knowledge on norwich is, is probably superior to mine so uh, <laughs> it shows uh it shows how much they know thank you very much mate and uh, and we'll see you all again very soon bye-bye